Welcome everyone. This is Fran Miller for Web Yeshiva. Tonight we're going to be talking about Motsi Matzah as part of the Seder series. Um, so we're going to focus on the step of the Seder that's eating the matzah. And of course, um, we can't think of when we think of Pesach, the first thing that one of the first things that comes to mind is the matzah. Everybody has strong opinions about they like it, they don't like it. Uh, how they like it, right? The hand or the machine or what they like on it. Um, and it's actually a mitzvah from the Torah to eat matzah on Seder night. So in this step of the Seder, we'll be fulfilling that mitzvah. And that's why everybody gets into the details of how much matzah to eat, right? And we're so excited about, we want to be so excited about this mitzvah of matzah. There's there's halacha not to eat matzah in the time leading up to it. And there's different minhagim around that of when people start um, refraining from eating matzah so that the taste will be new on Seder night and they'll be really excited for it. Um, tonight, we're not going to focus on the halachic aspect, but I want to think about the meaning behind the matzah. What are we supposed to feel and what are we supposed to remember as we eat this special Pesach unleavened bread as we eat the matzah? Um, and specifically, I want to look at two questions about matzah, which I think are interrelated, though as I explored them, I saw they're perhaps not exactly correlated, okay, different different ways they interact with each other. Um, but the first question I want to look at is the two different descriptions of matzah. Um, on one hand, we can look at matzah as lechem oni which I'll translate as bread of affliction, okay? Um, it could be part of remembering the slavery. And on the other hand, sometimes we, maybe we review, we view the matzah as a sign of our freedom, actually, not the slavery, but the being redeemed, the going out, uh, the geula, going out of its time. And so the question is, what part of the story specifically are we recollecting when we eat the matzah? Um, and just as a way of sort of framing the question, right, when we think about maror, maror's bitter, um, and the maror, the bitter herb, clearly is meant to remind us of the slavery. Sometimes we get the impression that the plain and the simple matzah is also to remind us of slavery. And for an example, um, we open Magid section really before we go into the actual text itself of Magid and the telling the story. We invite in guests and we invite in those who are in need. Um, and this opening paragraph written in Aramaic, right, Halach Ma'anya, we refer to the first words, the way we refer to this is we, we point to our bread or we talk about our matzah and we say, Halach Ma'anya, this is the bread of our affliction. Right, it sounds like poor man's bread. Um, and what is this bread? Diachlu of Tana. If you look on the source sheet, right, this is in source one. It's familiar to us from the Haggadah. Um, I know I certainly have my family's tune going in my head as I say this, and I'm sure a lot of other people do as well, their own family's tune. But Halachmania, this is the bread of our affliction. Diachlu of Tana that our ancestors ate in Egypt. This is the bread of a slave. This is what our forefathers ate um, back in Egypt when they were enslaved to Paro. And if so, right, this framing of matzah, this description of 
lachma anya, right? Lachem uni, the bread of affliction, a poor man's bread, that our forefathers ate in Egypt. If this is true, right? This description um, is is framing matzah as reminding us of slavery as a affliction, and we certainly have source for this. Um, the Torah itself, this the halach ma'anya, this is is the Aramaic version, but didn't make up this term of lechem oni, right? So if you take a lot of times in Aramaic, um, it's very similar roots, and you, if you just kind of take off the haze, right? So if you look at the just the two words here, let me stick an arrow here even. For us, if you look at just the two words of lach ma'anya, I don't know if you've ever thought about the Aramaic here. Um, people who are more familiar with studying Gemara might have thought about this more. Um, so I'm putting on my Gemara teacher hat for half a second here. But lach ma'anya, you can sort of see in there the word if you take off the olives on then lechem oni, right? Um, and that's basically the phrase that's being used here, just the Aramaic version of it. And halach ma'anya, whoever wrote this paragraph uh, that opens the Magid section of the Haggadah, didn't make up this phrase. This phrase, lechem oni, is used in Sefer Dvarim, um, in Dvarim Tetzayin Pasuk Gimel. Um, it describes the matzah. It says, you shouldn't eat chametz. Lo tochalav chametz shivat yamim. Tochalav matzot. shouldn't eat chametz. For seven days, you should eat matzah. And look at the mat, how it's described. Lechem oni. Okay. If you look at the English in Sfaria, um, bread of distress. Okay. So the Torah itself uses this phrase of lechem oni. Um, and the commentators here talk about it as this bread of affliction or why it would be called this. What is this term lechem oni, a poor man's bread or a bread of affliction? Um, bread of distress, why is this term being used? So if you look at Rashi, Rashi explains how the matzah um, has this association with it. Lechem oni, lechem shemaskirta oni shenit anu b'mitzrayim. So Rashi, quoting the Sifri, says explicitly that the matzah is bread that calls to mind the affliction to which the Jews were subjected in Egypt, okay, so he's so over here in this explanation, um, clearly presenting matzah as representing the slavery in Egypt of the bitter times, right up there with mar. Mar is the bitter herbs, and we have this poor man's bread or the bread of affliction that reminds us of what was eaten um, in Mitzrayim. That reminds us of the slavery. Okay, another um, interesting explanation of lechem oni is the chizkuni, and the chizkuni talks about it um, a little differently than bread of affliction. We're going to see the Gemara soon, and that's probably where, that sounds very similar to the chizkuni, probably where he's getting it from. Um, lechem oni, so he picks up on the word oni not as oppression, but as a knee, as a poor person. So this is poor man's bread. So again, still on sort of the same side as describing matzah, um, I would say in a more remembering something more in a more negative light, um, either our affliction or the, that we were impoverished, right? Neither these are two maybe two different ways of explaining the word, but both on the sort of the bad situation we came out of side of things. Um, and later we'll see maybe there's the remembering the gu'ula, the positive side of things. So the chizkuni says it's lechem oni darko shalani kishenutnim lo maat kemach. 
So he says the way of a poor person when he finally comes across a little bit of flour, he's given a small amount of flour, he doesn't have basically anything with which to prepare this flour. He doesn't have a bowl to um, start heat or some sort of vessel to start heating up water in and start kneading this dough in. He doesn't have this bread bowl or anything like that. This is talking about someone who's clearly really, really destitute. Um, and he also doesn't have any free time to sit around and wait for this bread to rise, probably both because he needs to be spending his time, you know, trying to figure out how he's going to support himself. And also perhaps because now that he finally has food, who knows, you know, how if he doesn't even have a bowl, he doesn't have anything, he just came across a little bit of flour, he's probably really hungry. Um, so he's not going to waste time waiting for his lovely dough to rise into this beautiful um, leavened bread. Rather, as soon as he comes across this little bit of food to sustain himself with, this little bit of flour, he's going to mix it with a little bit of water. It's going to be cold water because he doesn't have a vessel to heat it up in. The, implicate, the understanding here, and I guess this is actually true in baking, and this is also true in the Halachot of Chametz, is that it's going to rise better if he uses warm water. But he just throws in cold water. He doesn't have a vessel to heat up water in, throws in some cold water, quickly kneads it, mixes it together, sticks it in the oven, doesn't wait around, or puts it on the, the kira as a stove, right? Just going to stick it on and make it right away. Um, and so the chizkuni looks at the matzah as the poor man's way of preparing bread. Um, again, not necessarily uh, the most positive association with matzah, but remembering worse times. The Gemara B'Sachim picks up on this phrase, lechem oni, that appeared in Zvarim, and offers different explanations of this phrase. Some are related to poverty and slavery. And some are other explanations. Let's just see the Gemara Psachim. This is our, on page number two, sources five and six. The Gemara Psachim says, um, Sorum Psachim 115b, Amr Shmuel, Lechem Oniktiv. Shmuel says, the Torah says Lechem Oni, that's the Pasuk in Tvarim that we saw, um, Tvarim Tetzayan Gimel, Lechem Sha'onimalav Tvarim. A bread with which over which one answers many things. Um, so he sees this as not as necessarily something about poverty or slavery, but he looks at this word oni and he doesn't talk about affliction or ani, which is poverty. He looks at it as onim. Onim means to answer. And he says that the um, Shmuel saying that the bread is called this because of what we're going to explain over the bread, over the matzah. Um, that we're going to recite the Haggadah over this, and we're going to tell the story through the matzah. We're going to, we're going to, this is a bread with a story to tell, a bread of answers, a bread with explanations, and that's why it's called Lechem Oni. It's the bread we're going to tell the story over. Um, so that doesn't necessarily put it on one side or another in terms of, is this remembering the worst times or the bad times, right? But this is a, this is the bread with over which we're going to tell the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim. We're going to recite the Haggadah. Um, and we have another, just a similar, very similar phrasing of this, but just a support text. They bring a breita that also taught Lechem Oni, Lechem Sho'onim Alavs Varim Harbei. It's a bread over which one answers many matters. Okay, and we know interest, the phrase of answering is a little bit interesting here. I mean, that's the word they're picking up of. Oni is like la'anot, um, to answer. Um, and 
Pesach night is a lot of questions and answers. So it's an interesting phrase there. Okay, so that was all the first explanation. But then the Gemara says, Davar acher, another explanation is Lechem Oni. Oni Khtiv, Ma Ani Darko Beprusa, Afkan Beprusa. Okay, I want to explain the, the Limud here, how they're learning it. It says Lechem Oni, when it's written in the Torah, is written without the Vav. The Vav makes it clear that it's Oni, literally. Or the the you know the shot of it is oni, which is more like affliction or something like that. But the Torah wrote it without a vav. Okay, we just know that the nikud is oni, the way it would be pronounced, but it doesn't have a vav. And without that vav there, you can read it as ani, which is a poor person. And so we learn from this, according to this other explanation, that a poor person eats a piece of bread. Um, he doesn't have a whole loaf of bread to eat. And we learn from this that we use a piece of matzah. Um, and it's actually true, right? We break the matzah and yacha. It's a different step of the seder. And when we make hamotzi, we do have um, two full ones, but we also have that broken piece. Um, and so they're saying from this comparison to the poor person or the use of the word that looks like us, you know, hints to poor person, we learn that we should make the... Um, make the bracha over a piece of matzah that's incomplete. One second, just adjusting my screen here. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so that was the second explanation here. Okay, and the third explanation, and this sounds a little bit like the chizkuni, slightly different, but similar concept. Davar um, acher, Okay, the Gemara says that a poor person, um, he doesn't have a little different than the Chizkuni, but similar, similar to the, let's start with how it's similar to the Chizkuni. Similar to the Chizkuni because it's looking at this and saying um, it's the bread of a poor person. We're going to learn something about how a poor person makes his bread that's going to be relevant to the matzah, okay? And here specifically, what are we learning? So a poor person, um, he doesn't have a lot of firewood. And so what he's going to do is they're going to just work very fast. Um, he's going to heat up the oven while his wife is baking the bread, Um and she's going to bake it quickly, I think, so as to not, the way Rashi explained it, is so as to not to use up um, too much firewood. And so the dough is not going to have time to rise. And we learn from this, or this is a hint to the halacha matzah that has to be made very quickly so that the bread doesn't rise. Okay, so he sees this halacha of matzah made quickly without rising alluded to in this term lechem oni um, that could be read as a poor man's bread, just like a poor man bakes quickly without it rising. Um, so it's going to bake. So he, so matzah has to be baked uh, in, obviously in 18 minutes. Um, okay. And the Gemara actually I just wanted to show you that in just got it so we could see it. Okay, hopefully you can see it on your screen better than I can see it. Um, the Gemara in Brachot actually 
says this lehalacha, one of the explanations we saw here that just as a poor person makes the bracha over, or a poor person's gonna be eating a uh, broken piece of bread, that on Pesach, or even though in general we have an idea of making brachot over a complete loaves, because that's considered nice, if you look in the Gemara and brachot, Amar of Papa, kol modim bepesach shemenich prusa betok shlema, ubotzea, maitaima, lechem oniktiv. When it comes to Pesach, um, Rav Papa claims everybody agrees that you take a broken piece of matzah together with the full piece and make the bracha over that. Um, and we learn this from the fact that it says lechem oni. Okay, so we saw some of the sources here highlighting this idea of lechem oni, of either being a poor bread or a bread of affliction, halach um, ma'anya, looking at matzah as the bread of our affliction that our forefathers ate in Egypt. Okay, and then matzah would be recalling for us the slavery. But we have another approach to the matzah. Um, if we look further on in the Haggadah itself, okay, so we've said halach ma'anya, we went a little bit further into ma'agid. And further on in the Haggadah itself, we reach Rabban Gamliel. And Rabban Gamliel is like a highlight of the ma'agid section, um, very, very important of the state. And we're going to mention three key elements. And these elements are so important. Rabban Gamliel says that if you haven't mentioned these three things, you haven't fulfilled your obligation on Pesach night. Um, and it seems from the way Rabban Gamliel is phrased that it's not just mentioning, but rather explaining, right? What is it? You just say these three words, magic words, Pesach, um, Matzah, and Maror, and then you fulfill your explanation. You fulfill your obligation, sorry, but Rabban Gamliel, it seems like not. Rabban Gamliel goes on to include an explanation for these things. Um, so it's explaining. And we're, these are actually visual aids. We don't have the Pesach, but we have the Matzah and Maror, and there's an idea of doing this when it's in front of you, right? In the words of the Gemara, um, the time where the Matzah and Maror are in front of you. We're telling the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim through these visuals, through these experiential elements. Um, and so in Rabbi Gamliel, right, we see Rabbi Gamliel, Hayaomer, Kosholo, Amar, Shoshadrim, Elo, Bepesach, so first of all, says, whoever doesn't say um, these three things on Pesach hasn't fulfilled their obligation. And these things are Pesach, Matzah, Umar. Um, okay. And then for each one, as I said, it seems like it's not just saying it, right? Saying the, these words, but it's explaining these things. So he goes on for each of these, and there's an explanation. Um, so let's look at matzah specifically. How is matzah explained over here? Let's see how Rabbi Gamliel explains matzah. Matzah zu she'anochlim al This matzah that we're eating for 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 what? Why are we eating it? Al shum shelo speak b'tzikam shalavotinu lachmit ad shenigglalem melachem lachim hakadosh baruch hu v'gaalam. Um, we eat this because our ancestors' dough did not have enough time to rise um, before or right away, right? The Melch Machayam Lachim, the King of Kings, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be He, came Uga'alam and redeemed them. And then he brings a pasuk to support himself. We're going to look at this pasuk more in detail very soon. Um, but this is a verse from Shemot Yudbet. And it says, 
they brought they baked the dough that they brought out with them out of Mitzrayim. They baked it into matzah since it did not rise because they were sent out of Mitzrayim um, and they didn't have enough time to they couldn't spend time there and they didn't they hadn't pre- prepared uh, provisions for themselves. And so according to Rabbi Gamliel, right, look back at the Al-Shuma, why are we eating this? Because their dough didn't have time to rise because God redeemed them. According to Rabbi Gamliel, the matzah seems to represent uh, not slavery, but the redemption, right? The matzah tells the story of the Jews being redeemed by God from Egypt. And not only were they redeemed, they were redeemed so fast their dough didn't have time to rise, right? Yeshua Hashem Karaf Ayin, God's salvation comes like the blink of an eye. It came so fast. Um, God saved us, and this is what the matzah represents. And so this approach seems to be looking at matzah as representing the redemption, as representing our freedom, as opposed to the approaches that we saw that looked at matzah as representing slavery. Um, We have a halacha of the matzah, of how it's supposed to be eaten that gives expression to this element of the matzah, to the matzah as representing freedom, as representing geula. And that is that the matzah is eaten while reclining. Now, reclining is considered the way of kings, of free people, of b'nei chorin. Um, today, the way we recline is not always the most comfortable or natural thing, but the time, the time when this halacha was being codified, the way they used to eat, seems like everybody was sort of reclining on their own um, couches or chairs or pillows, something like that. And they had these small tables that they would bring in front of them. Um, and so they were eating, uh, right? If you've ever seen, we've seen pictures of these where, you know, their feet, their servants are feeding them grapes and they're reclining on these chairs, something more like that. This was the natural way of the royalty eating. Um, yeah, is there a question? One second, I don't hear you. Oh, unmute your, can you unmute yourself? Here, I'll unmute you. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, It seems to me that Shmuel is, the problem is that, like you're saying, given the fact that Masa is fundamentally a symbol of Gula, you know, how can you also at the same time call Lechem Oni? But I, personally think that when he says lechem she'onim alav devarim harbei, he doesn't mean the magia, despite Rabbi Gamaliel. He means the halal, because in the Tosefta, which precedes the Mishnah, it's clear that the first thing that went on was the halal, and the whole magia thing probably didn't even occur in the Second Temple. It always started after the Second Temple was destroyed. But the halal was there all along, and even today, we don't say start. We don't. We don't. How the point of how is? You say a bit of it right before you eat the matzah, and then you finish it at, with the apikomen in your stomach. In other words, the very last thing you eat is the apikomen, which means that for the rest of the seder, while you're finishing up the how the only taste you have left is the taste of the matzah. So the only of our love is not is not reciting Torah. It's singing songs to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. V'atam lahem miriyam. Shivu Hashem ki ga'o ga'a. Sus baruch wa'u ramavayam.
I think that's a very good read. I was thinking as you were speaking before you said it as uh, La Note could be in responsive um, song of praise, like with we see with Miriam and uh, Azia Sher. Um, interesting. That's very interesting. So we say Hallel over this matzah, and that would put that would put him on the Geula side, I think, right? Not the um, well. No, that's exactly why he, what he's trying to do. He's trying to get out from under the fact that matzah is. If it's a symbol of Gula, how can it also be a symbol of Shibur? So he's trying to undermine this, uh, the idea of Lechamoni, which according to the plain Pashup Shah, as you said, either means poor or suffering, which are just two sides of the same coin. Call Yemei Aniraim, as Mishlei points out, right? So he, he doesn't like that because, you know, so he undermines it by saying, oh, what's Lechamoni? Oh, that's the bread we sing over. Okay, you know. Remember, we're in a whole Tanakh. Do you ever have the verb ayin nun hey to describe a Torah recital or any type of learning? It's never used that way. Okay, the word for that would be lamad. You know, amar v'yanita v'yamato v'nashem alahechal abafol, and then I'll say v'yanita. Even that isn't anything other than a confessional recital. It's like you know, I'm making a statement. Okay. But I, I, you know what I think he'd also mean? Maybe it would include Magid because of Yanita Yamata. So, okay, fine. We can put them both in. It'll include the Magid and it'll also include the Halim. Well, both would fit. But it's not just the Magid. That was my point. Good. I think, okay, very, that's actually a very interesting point. Thank you for raising that. And, um, it's, uh, and that's, uh, yeah, it's a, and I think it's a good read of the language. I think what you're mentioning here, this complexity in the, we're going to hopefully see a little bit more approaches to other approaches to this. We have this sort of duality in the psukim here of whether it's the bread of affliction or the bread of redemption and different commentators try to get around that. They don't know how to navigate that exactly in different ways by putting emphasis on one part or the other, and then sort of explaining away the other part. Um, So it could be very much as you're saying that he re- reframes this lechem oni to say it's not actually something bad, right? It's the lechem she'oni malav. Um, definitely could be. We'll see other commentators, hopefully shortly, how they deal with that. Okay, so on the side um, of the looking at matzah as this bread of our geula, like Rabban Gamliel, um, I said we have this halacha of reclining. Um, and reclining was sort of this royal way of eating. It's meant to show freedom. Um and the Gemara Msachim says, Maror, which recounts bitter, bitterness, right, the slavery, we're not going to recline for, um, as opposed to matzah, we do recline for. Um, and it seems to be, right, that the reclining is the sign of freedom. Uh, Rashi explains the reclining. Matzah tzricha, look in source 10, matzah tzricha haseva kivne chorin shehu zecher ligula. Right, so he says explicitly, that recline, we're going to recline like free people while we eat the matzah. Here he's saying matzah is reminding us of the redemption. And that's why we are um, showing the sign of freedom, right? This royal reclining while we're eating it. Um, the, the Yerushalmi just adds another sort of nuance or insight into why reclining would be a sign of freedom. Um, the Gemara explains that when a slave, the Yerushalmi explains that when a slaves were eating, right? Or someone's servant was eating, they would usually eat standing, um, I think because they're going back and forth bringing things, right? They are not sitting down to a meal. Um, 
And so the opposite of that is to eat reclining where you're taking your time and sitting down. And so on this night, particularly on Pesach night, we're not going to eat like slaves where we're standing or even sitting upright. We're going to really full out recline. Um, so very clearly, right, reclining sign of freedom. And the Gemara is very clear about there's Mahluk in the Gemara about the Arba Koso, do you lean? Which ones do you lean for? Which ones don't you lean for, right? There are two different opinions. We end up passing that we're just gonna lean for all of them because of these two different opinions. But Matzah, um, everyone agrees, right? Very clearly we recline for, um, which seems to be a sign of freedom. So we have this from the Haggadah itself and going forward, right? We have, or going backwards, I guess, in the case of going back to the Gemara, but we have this dual symbolism of matzah, right? We have on one hand matzah being this lechem uni, this bread of affliction or the poor man's bread or something like that. Um, and then on the flip side, we have, why do we eat the matzah? Al shum gula, right? We're eating it because of the redemption and we're eating because of the gula. And we'll come back and explore this more um, shortly. There's a second there's a second question I wanted to look at, um, and it's a big topic, so I'm just going to give a taste here, and that is the backstory of the matzah. Um, where does the matzah, right, what's the story in the Torah of the matzah? Why did they have matzah with them in the desert um, when they went out, or when they went out of Egypt, right? And I think that I started looking into this question because it could play into which element of the story of matzah will represent, right? Of course, if they already had the matzah back in Egypt, that's going to represent one thing as opposed to if the matzah um, sort of is a result of their going out into, into freedom, maybe that's going to be something else. We're going to see it's not as clear cut because the different uh, commentators play with it differently. Um, and again, there's a ton to say about this, probably a whole, you know, Tanakh sharing of itself, but just to give a taste. So we, many, most of us are familiar with the story that the matzah was this invention of the desert, right? They didn't have time to bake their bread and they took the dough with them. They stuck it on their backs and it baked on their backs in the sun into flat loaves, into the matzah. And to commemorate this, to this day, we eat matzah. Um, and this isn't wrong, right? Our kindergarten teachers didn't make this up. Um, this sounds to me like the simple understanding of Rabban Gamliel, right? Their dough didn't have enough time to rise. It baked on their backs. Um, and so that's how most of us, I think, are used to thinking about matzah, or at least when we learned the story in kindergarten, that's what we learned about matzah. Um, if we learned the story in kindergarten, right, that it was it, it was basically invented uh, in this situation, right, unintentionally sort of, where they took their dough with them. They didn't have time to bake it, but the sun was very hot. And, oh, here's this new type of food. It's matzah, it's unleavened bread. Um, and perhaps that's why we're eating the matzah, to remember that story. But if we look at the psukim closely, it's not actually so clear cut that that's the story of matzah. Um, when we look at the psukim, it seems that matzah wasn't only a desert invention. Um, certainly not only, right? It seemed like it existed beforehand um, in the different, in the psukim and in the commentaries. Uh, first of all, right, in the commentaries, matzah is this food that was the bread of slaves. It was fed to slaves, which makes sense. It's this very simple food, right? Bread, flour, and water, um, not very expensive, right? Different commentators talk about how it's very filling. It takes a long time to digest. So if we want to, you know, cheaply feed a huge labor force of slaves, um, something like matzah is going to do the trick. And so this was recognized perhaps as a bread of slaves beforehand. Um, but specifically in the psukim, they're commanded to eat the matzah. Uh, at least with the Korban Pesach, with the Pesach offering, that they're going to bring already in Mitzrayim. Um, and for the 
I'll read through quickly. Um, but I made actually a chart. I just made it for myself, but I realized it'd be helpful as I was going through, but I realized it'd be helpful to share here. So I'll share the document in a second. Um, the, let's look at, I want to look at the structure of Parakudet, where they go out of Mitzrayim. Um, and it's a little bit not clear here. It's a machloka in the mafarshim exactly what was said when and what applied where. Um, okay, I'm going to start reading it. If it gets too, if I see it's getting to be too long, I'll just skip to the overview um, and we'll just talk about it as section. But let's let's try to read through Shmot Yvette a little bit. Vayom Hashem al-Moshe ve'al-Aram ve'aretz Mitzrayim le'mor. Hashem spoke to Moshe. Okay, first they get the command of Rosh Chodesh. I'm actually going to skip that. That's Pasuk Bet. Um... Okay, in Gimel they get they start to get the command of Korban Pesach. Debril calls out Yisrael Leimor Basar So they're commanded to tell to tell the Jews to on the tenth of the month to bring a, a lamb into their house, a lamb for each house. Okay, and then goes through different halachot of the Korban Pesach. If there aren't enough people, what they should do, um, what type of sheep they have to count, they have to take. Right, it has to be a male year old, things like that. Um, okay, and they should watch it until the 14th day. That's Pasuk Vav. Okay, I'm just summarizing out, outside. It's just going to get long. Um, and then Vishachtu Oto, still in Pasuk Vav, Kol Kala Da Yisrael Ben Arabayim. They should sacrifice it in the afternoon. And then he goes on to talk about what they should do with the blood, right? We know that in Egypt they were told to put, put the blood on the doorpost. Um, and, okay, and then the halachot of how to eat this meat. Um, they should eat it roasted with matzah and maror. So we see the matzah mentioned over there, right? They're eating the Quran Pesach on the matzah. Now there are more halachot instead of how to eat it. It shouldn't be raw. It shouldn't be um, boiled in water. It has to be roasted. It has to be roasted, sort of tied up in a certain position. Um Okay, Pasuk Yud is they can't leave over from it until morning. And then they get these halachot of how they should eat it. So particularly um, when they're eating it, they should be motnechem, Pasuk Yud Aleph, motnechem chagurim, nalechem baraglechem, maklechem biadechem, bachato to bechipazon, pesach hulashem. Basically, they're eating it all ready to go, right? Their belts are on, their shoes are on, they're holding their walking sticks in their hand. They should eat it quickly. That's the Korban Pesach. And then God says, I'm going to go through the land of Mitzrayim on that night. It I'm going to go and kill all the Bechoro. I'm going to uh, take take justice, right, up with the uh, idols of Mitzrayim. Um, and this blood that you put on the doorpost, um, and Hashem says that when you, I see the blood on your doorpost, I'm going to skip over those houses and the plague won't affect you. Um, so basically all of this was the commandment with regard to the details of the Korban Pesach. But now look at Pasuk Yudalid. Pasuk Yudalid is Pasuk Yudalid is telling us that for future generations, this day is going to be for remembrance. It's going to be a Chag, um, and you should celebrate it. And what do you have to do? Pasuk Tervav, Shivat Yamim, Matsu Tochilu. For seven days, you should eat matzah. Ach, Bayom. 
Harishon Tashbitis or Mibatechem, you should get rid of all leaven from your house. Okay, basically all seven days, right? The uh, eating chametz is forbidden. It's an iser kari, um, and we're going to eat matzot. And it goes on the details of the holiday of Pesach. Right, there's a yom tov at the beginning on day one and yom tov on day seven, according to the Torah, not in Chutzarts, right? Yeah, don't do any malacha because it's a yom tov. Okay, that you're allowed to um, do Torah that you need. Because on this day I've taken you out of Mitzrayim, um, and for all generations, right? This is forever. Um, Okay, and still going through the halachot of the seven days of Pesach as we know them. Okay, you're eating matzah. Again, right, the, all these all these different phrases here are really important for the halachot of chametz and matzah, but we're not going into, but going through the details of don't have any chametz for seven days, only matzah. Um, it's an Isra Kari, repeating a lot of this, right? Don't have any leaven. Um, that was till Pasukhaf. Okay, now, so I'll just go for a second actually to this document. These are, we just read the first two sections. So, uh, Sukim verses 1 through 13 are the command about what I call Pesach Mitzrayim, uh, basically about the Korban Pesach, right? Bringing the sacrifice, what you're supposed to do, how it's supposed to be eaten, and followed up with this command about. Chag HaMatzot, I called it, right? Pesach as we know it, seven days, no chametz, uh, eating matzah. Now, what we're going to see next is Moshe relays the command. He relays basically what happened in 1 through 13 and not 14 through 20. Moshe is going to relay the command about the Korban Pesach, and they're going to do it. Um, we're going to see actually the way he relays it, some of the details are actually broken up further. Um, let's read through a little bit more. Okay, so here's Moshe sort of relaying what he was told, but he's not going to mention these, this seven-day holiday that we just saw. He's just going to mention the details of the Korban Pesach. Verse 21, Go out and get your sheep for the Korban Pesach that you're going to bring. And he goes through all the details of you should dip the Azov into the blood and you should paint it on your doorpost. Um... And God, you know, everything God said about he's going to pass through Mitzrayim, but he's going to see the blood on the doorpost. He's going to skip over your house. Um, and you should do this. This is the command of the Pesach you should do. And he says, when you go into Eretz Yisrael, right? You should do this avoda of the Korban Pesach when you go into um, Eretz Yisrael. Um, and you should explain to them why you're, you should explain to your children when they ask you why you're doing this, you should explain to them um, it's the Korban Pesach because God skipped over our houses. Um, and the last Pasuk in this section, you see where the Samach is, that's like a break in the text that shows the end of a section. Um, B'nai Israel, go and do this Korban Pesach. Is there a question? Okay, I'm going to keep going. If someone has a question, you can unmute yourself and ask. 
Um, okay, then we have a little bit of the continue of the narrative where this actually happens that Mako Bechorot happens, right? Um, where God strikes the firstborns in Egypt um, and Paro gets very distressed, of course, goes running to Moshe um, and tells them that you should go out. Um, this is from right 29, basically. We'll look at the review chart in a minute. Um, but in this story, I just want to show you one verse over here. I think we might have seen this even quoted already. In the story, right, when Paro is hurrying them out of Mitzrayim, if you look in verse uh, 34, they take their dough with them that hasn't had time to rise. Um, they take it out on their shoulders, and then they basically, um, right, they, and they're taking it with them as they go out. And they go out of Mitzrayim, and when they get to Sukkot, look in Pasuk Lametet, and they go from Ramses to Sukkot on their way out. When they get out, when they get to Sukkot Lametet, they Wait, we go back to that Joe that we heard about, that Joe that they took out because they didn't have time to rise. Um, they then they bake it. Um, so they now bake this dough, this is the person we saw quoted, they bake this dough that they take out of Mitzrayim into Matzot. It didn't have time to rise because they were sent out of Mitzrayim. Um, they couldn't tarry there. They couldn't stay and prepare themselves food to go out. They're going to have to bake this. Let's go to... Um, now, one more section I just want to show you, starting from forty from verse uh, forty-three, Mem Gimel. Hashem tells Moshe some more details about the Korban Pesach, and then they go and tell this to the Israel, and it says that the Israel did them. And then there's like this summary verse of the whole section, right? Vayhibat amayomazel. Just reading the last verse. Hotzi Hashem b'Nisrael merit Mitzrayim al tivotam. Right at the end of uh, this day, God took b'Nisrael out of Mitzrayim. Okay, let's just see this. That was a lot of speaking. Let's just see the summary. So we have a command about the Korban Pesach. We have a command about what I call Chag Matzot, these seven days, the Pesach as we know it, basically. Moshe relays here, what we see in the Psukim, in the verses themselves, Moshe relays the command with regard to the Korban Pesach, and they do it. The narrative continues with Makkah Bechor and everything Hashem said was going to happen. They're leaving Matrayim. We see the bit about their dough over there. Um and then take, they took it out on their backs, and eventually later they bake it. Um, and then we have some more detail about the Quran Pesach that they did, and then a summary verse. Um, this other section, right, 14 to 20, we don't see Moshe relaying to the Jews at this point. Um, it is going to be repeated in the next parak, uh, only in parak Gimel. Um, later, we, later we see this. Um, later we see in the Pesukim later. So part of the so part of the question that comes up here is the seven day Chagamato, right? This fourteen through twenty section. Um, it's only related in Yud Gimel in Parak Yud Gimel later on. Um, did this apply in Mitzrayim? Okay, and. Uh, there's another pasuk we have to look at, but I'll come back to the, the other pasuk. Did this apply to, to Mitzrayim? Um, was there Chagamatzot for seven days in Mitzrayim? And so the Ramban says yes. The Ramban says even though we don't, we only see Moshe relaying sort of part of the 
what Hashem said to him, right? We see basically the one through third, the Korban Pesach section relayed and not the other part. We have to, we're meant to assume that Moshe told them everything. It's just not repeated in the verses, but Moshe did tell them this. Um, and it only comes up later in the Psukim for whatever reason, either because to show that it did continue to apply later on or because they wanted to, it specifically, right? Hashem wanted to put it specifically near the halachot of the Bechor, of what we have to do with the firstborn, something like that. But the Ramban says matzah wasn't a desert invention. It was always the plan. And they actually had this Chag matzah they were meant to celebrate. And in fact, um, Ramban explains that they had this dough with them. Why do they have this dough with them? It wasn't, you know, a fluke that they couldn't let it rise and then it turned into matzah. They had the dough was always intended to be matzah. Why? Because Hashem said that you can't, you have to eat matzah for seven days. Um, and this applied to Mitzrayim as well, according to Ramban. Um, and they didn't have time, not for it to rise. They were never planning on it rising, according to Ramban, it was matzah. But they didn't even have time to bake it in Mitzrayim. And that's the story here, that they grabbed it and took it with them and it baked on their backs. That's the surprising part. Um, but it was always meant to be matzah um it's a little bit hard to understand what's the reason for chag in mitzrayim right and that would that would have implications for what the meaning of matzah is um some of the commentators like the barbanel actually says it's because of what would happen in the future hashem commanded to even keep it already then so that brings it back to being about the geula um or the right some and another explanation is they they were supposed to have this dough with them Specifically having this dough, they were trying to make the fastest type of bread to bake, the matzah. And even that they didn't have time for. That really emphasized the haste, right? They left so quickly. Um, they didn't have time to bake this. Okay. And so this all sort of puts matzah. Um, well, it, so it depends how you, so, right? So if you read it as you know, they're doing this in Mitzrayim already, but they're doing it because of what's going to happen in the future, or they're doing it to emphasize to them how fast the gu'u lost happen, that still, um, that really shows matzah as being about the geula still, even though it's something that might have existed already in Mitzrayim. Um, the Ramban actually doesn't see it only that way. I think it's very important for the Ramban, well, this is important for everyone to deal with, that I want to show you is another pasuk. Okay, I just skipped over what we had in Shmo, in Gimel, when the, when these halachot of Pesach are actually repeated. But look at um, Dvarim Tadzayin, pasuk Gimel, says this is in the halachot of pesach um says like this and this is the tension in, in the verse i was referring to earlier um so it says you should not eat this in, in the halachot of pesach don't eat any chametz um for seven days you should eat matzah Matzah described as lechem uni. This is where this term originally came from, right? The bread of distress, as Faria translates it, or affliction, or poverty, something like that. And then we have, because you left very quickly, right? in a hurry from Eretz Mitzrayim. And we want you to remember the day you came out of Mitzrayim for all the days of your life. Now, this pasuk itself um, has both elements in it, right? It has the lechem uni, the bread of the affliction, or the, and also the haste of the redemption. Okay, so the Ramban does acknowledge here, we're going to see the full Ramban soon, hopefully we're running out of time here, but the Ramban does acknowledge um, this element of Oni, of the Matzah, um, and he says, 
They had this very poor, this is what I, I mentioned this commentary before, they have this very simple bread in Mitzrayim. Okay, it's unclear, according to Ramban's opinion, he's saying they're commanded this already in Mitzrayim, right? Why are they, um, why do they need to bake matzah in Mitzrayim to remember their slavery, right? They don't need to remember their slavery. They are slaves. They went through the slavery. Um, so that part's not exactly clear, but it seems like at least later on, right, the matzah is to recollect the slavery, and it does have this aspect of slavery to it. Okay, there's other approaches. We don't have time, actually, to go through all of them, um, but there's other approaches. Um, the Ramban was kind of this extreme approach where matzah was always in the plant, and it wasn't this new thing that happened in the desert. The only surprising part is that it was baked in the desert as opposed to being baked in advance of their journey um, because the gula happened so quickly. There's other approaches that say, no, they were commanded to have matzah with the Korban Pesach, but there was no prohibition of chametz. There was no mitzvah. Um, of Pesach, of the seven-day-long holiday. Um, and then there might be some sort of separate explanation why matzah was eaten with the Korban Pesach, um, you know, maybe because the Korban Pesach in general, a lot of the halachot around it has to do with eating eating in haste, right? They eat it ready to go, they eat it roasted, and matzah also represents that. Or um, completely different, separate explanation, right? Ram, Rambam and Mora Nevuchim talks about how um, this is sort of against the non-Jewish way of worship. The non-Jews would bring these very fancy sweet breads. Um, I don't know where this is at the moment. I'll, I don't have time to go through it inside anyway. Um, but they would bring these fancy sweet breads and matzo sort of in contrast to that. Um, but all of that means there was matzo ready in Mitzrayim, but it has nothing to do with, you know, that necessarily the matzo we're eating today. The matzo leader is something else. The later generations are going to have chaga matzo to commemorate this story, the events in the Midbar of the matzah baking, um, commemorating what happened, right? At the moment, that wasn't relevant, but there was this concept of uh, matzah, but it was brought in for other reasons with the Karman Pesach. There's an in-between approach that says uh, there was this one-day command for matzah and not chametz, but not a whole holiday. Um, okay. But... Um, Okay, so basically, there's there's very there's many different approaches to the history of matzah and its meaning, and within all of those, right, the commentators sort of play with it. Um, I think perhaps we're left here with more answers than questions, but that might be on theme with Pesach, where it's about asking questions. Um, but it is interesting if we're going to try to understand the matzah to go back and look at the different approaches to when where what part of the story was matzah actually in right was it this its own thing for Korban Pesach and then later added for Pesach itself was it always the command of Pesach they had that already in the in um in Egypt or was it something that was created in the desert um I think that could play into this question um but I want to end off with one idea that I think can tie together sort of the two aspects of matzah. We saw this galut and this gu'ula, right? We saw matzah as the lechem uni, the bread of slavery, um, but matzah also as the bread of gula and and the, the bread of redemption. I just wanted to show you um, that there's that pasukin's varim that really mentions both together. Um, the the on one hand bread being lechem uni the bread of affliction and at the same time mentioning the haste of the redemption um, and the ramban himself one of, he gives two explanations but he one of his explanations he says really maybe matzah represents both 
um, right? His kirba matasha tela hamoni lagit hitivalis kursha to bechipazon, vihi oni zecher keu betime belachem sarven mayam lachat. Um, he need termos lishneads varim, right? Matza represents both things. It represents the lechem oni that this pasuk talks about of how bad it was in Mitzrayim, and it represents the geula of, you know, they went out so fast and this whole story of the redemption. Um, so if we focus on Ramban's first explanation, um, why would matzah be both, right? It seems like it's sort of a contradiction, right? Either it's labor or it's freedom. Why is it both? And to, to kind of tie these two ideas together, I wanted to uh, bring up a commentary of Rav Hirsch. And Rav Hirsch talks about um, matzah. When Rav Hirsch talks about matzah, he says that chametz, um, having, you know, this fancy leaven bread, is a sign of independence, but matzah is a sign of dependence. He says, right, I'll read the first line here. This is a uh, reverse translated into Hebrew. Kvarbi arnush and matzah nesamel avdut. Matzah represents slavery. Tlut sociali. What's the slavery? Right, um, so, right, social dependence. And the opposite, hipucha chametz nesamel efo atzmaut sociali. And chametz, which is the opposite of this, represents um, independence, financial independence. Okay, and he goes on to say, that on Pesach, we go back to the symbol of dependence. And why are we doing that on Pesach, right? If Pesach is all about our freedom, why are we going back to our dependence? So Rav Hirsch says, this is, I'm paraphrasing my own words, but this is how I understand Rav Hirsch. Um, Rav Hirsch says that we're going back to the symbol of dependence to remind ourselves that we had nothing. We were slaves in Egypt. We had no way out. We were completely, completely dependent. We had nothing. Why are we where we are today? Why are we free? How did we get out? Um, only because of God. We were completely dependent and we had no way of helping ourselves. And we're only where we are today because God saved us. And as a way of sort of remembering that God saved us from nothing, we're only going to eat for these seven days, for this unit of time, we're going to eat the bread of dependence to remember how dependent we were. And we're not going to eat the bread of independence. And the way he phrased it, it sounds like almost eating this bread of independence, eating chametz in this time would basically be a denial of this redemption from God. And that's why he says, you know, it's such a strict um, prohibition with an iser kari, um, with the right, the punishment of kari, of excommunication. Um and so matzah is, the idea is going back and representing our dependence. And to take his idea a step further, and now this is me kind of adding my own, I can't claim that Rav himself was actually saying this, but when we were redeemed, I think it was a freedom, but it was also a slavery. We didn't just go from being slaves to free, but another aspect of what happened there is we went from being avdei paro, of servants of paro, to being avdei Hashem, to being servants of God. Right, and God actually uses this phrase when God ta- ta- says to you know tells Moshe to say to Paro why he's taking them out. He says, "I'm taking them out to be my servants." Right, and this so you see sort of this transition from being servants to Paro to being servants to to God. Um, and when we're in that moment of redemption, right, to bring it back to our verse, we're completely, completely dependent on God. And on one hand, we're gaining freedom from Paro, but at the same time, we're taking upon ourselves the servitude of God. Um, and Chazal talk about this, right? They tell us in the Chaben Chorin Al Mishosek Batora to be free isn't just 
free. Um, but rather a real free person is someone who is engaged in Torah study, who's engaged in serving of God. Um, and it's interesting, right? We saw actually in the Psukim, um, the Quran Pesach is referred to as an avoda, as a servitude, as a service. The Russia gets in trouble, right? The 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 wicked son, he says, Ma zut lachem. what's all this work that you're doing, right? Um, but really there's nothing what's so bad about this question, right? So actually Avoda isn't something derogatory, right? We call the service of the Beit HaMikdash an Avoda. We call the Horam Pasach an Avoda. And it's holy, holy work, right? We call our prayers Avodah believe um, the service of the heart. Avoda, right, service, isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's how you approach it, right? So the Russia, it seems like the wicked son says it in a negative way, like, what's this work you're doing? But it could be we're supposed to, we are supposed to be proudly engaged in Hashem's Avoda. Um, and to come back to matzah, matzah has these two aspects, matzah is slavery and freedom. Um, and our gu'ula, our redemption is freedom, but it's also a form of servitude. We're free from paro, we're not slaves anymore to paro, but we have a servitude um, that we've taken upon ourselves, by, or that we, right, by God acquiring us as his nation, we have the servitude of God. And we go back to this most basic bread, to the simplest food, and we remind ourselves of this transition. We went from being slaves to paro to a moment of redemption and to a moment of haste, but we're not done with the slavery um, imagery, okay? We go from being slaves to Paro to continue to be slaves of Avodah Hashem, uh, to be servants of Ovdeh, to be Ovdeh Hashem. And so when we eat in the matzah, there's sort of three elements we can have in mind. We can have in mind the slavery in Egypt, that's the Lechem Umi. And we can have in, we can have in mind that Hashem redeemed us and the chipazon and the haste with which they went out, our do didn't have time to rise, right? Like Rabban Gamaliel. And we can have in mind that we're still eating this simple, simple bread of slaves. And we have in mind that we're servants today, but servants of God. Um, and with the matzah, we're free from the bonds of slavery to Paro, but we're proudly bound by the bonds of Avodah Hashem. Um, and matzah is freedom and slavery all at once. We have an Avodah to do. Um, and we take pride in it, and we're fortunate, but we're and we're fortunate to be part of it. Um, I see there's a comment here. Second, yeah, I I agree. It is a very different form of. So the question here says a second question here. I didn't fully read the question with the sourdough, but the second question here says um, it's very different to have a servitude of God. Um, and not servitude of Paro. And I, I think that's true. It's a very, very different servitude. Um, but I think I think we're also reminding ourselves um, still that we're Ovde Hashem, the way we were servants to Paro. We are representing both slavery and redemption all at once because really they come together um, by being redeemed. We also became um, servants to God. Okay, thank you everyone for joining and wishing you a Chag Kasher Sameach.